Our scripture this morning is from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. I do not hate those who hate you. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Once again, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And as we continue in our sermon series on loving your neighbor, let me let you know that this is not a misprint. This is Psalm 139, the same scripture from last week's sermon. And this same psalm last week led us in how to love God our neighbor, God as our neighbor. Now, this week, it will show us how to love you, yourself as your neighbor, okay? Now, as an evangelical Christian conservative pastor, just the idea of talking about self-love to me is dangerous and curious, The Bible clearly teaches that we should deny ourselves, put ourselves before, put others before ourselves, and decrease ourselves, and by all means, fight against selfishness. When we are called to deny ourselves and humble ourselves and deny ourselves and put others before ourselves, and as our song we'll sing later says, give yourself away. None of that will really hit home. And there will be plenty of missing the mark and abuse of what those things mean 
if we don't have a biblical view of self, of loving self in a biblical sense. You are your closest neighbor outside of God, your neighbor. No one experiences you as fully and as viscerally as you do. You are your neighbor because you not only live as yourself, but you have to live with yourself. I know sometimes you guys have conversations with yourselves, don't you? In the mirror, on the way to work, what are you thinking, you? It's important because all neighborly love will come from a couple places, the Lord in his interaction with us and through us, and then from you personally to others. In fact, the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. Obviously, you have a healthy, obviously, obviously, you having a healthy and holy view and treatment of yourself are very important in loving your neighbor. Not only that, but truly some of the self-treatment and views you have of yourself are, have created some self-hating and ungodly behaviors and beliefs. And God in this psalm is, call, is giving us and calling us to his mercy. I know it is sort of surreal, but trust me and hang in with, there with me. In this psalm, if we look at the, the, the end, David says this in verse 19 through 22. David, King David, the one who wrote this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And it falls in place with a number of psalms that, that David writes when he is being pursued as the king of Israel, as God's king of and by people who don't like God, who have murderous intent, who are against them, who want to take him out. And so in saying this, he is declaring, I want for myself only what God wants for me. To live, to value my life. I love my life. I, I have proper biblical respect for who God has made me and what he has called me to. And it is from that perspective he writes a whole psalm that convinces him and others why he should feel that way about himself and his God. And so as he does, we are called by this psalm to properly respect our God-given worth, accept our humanness, and embrace the life God gives. Respect your God-given worth. Accept your humanness. And finally, embrace the life God gives. Look, look first with me at verses 13 through 16. And it says, For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. 
For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eye saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. In verse 16, it talks about the book. It's not only talking about the days that the person God creates should live. But when I was studying this, I realized it also it describes and alludes to a craftsman's book, right? Like, like, like the, the, the directions book that you get from Ikea when you put the furniture together, right? And it shows you piece by piece how to get the final product that you see on the front. But when it talks about being knit in his mother's womb and then made in a secret, it is saying God has a direction for me. He has a direction for how I'm going to look and what my body's going to look like and and what kind of person I'm going to be. But it also means this. Book means booked, right? Like when you book a ticket, when you book a reservation, it is saying that I have a plan. It is set in stone. It is going to happen. God has booked a created direction or vision of how he made you and makes you. But it was in his divine mind, in the book of his divine mind, who and how you would be. It was a secret formula, if you will. The mold or direction to make a human being like you was not thrown away when God made you. The mold and human formula was and is and will always be in the unsearchable mind of God. It is therefore God alone who holds the ultimate reason of when and why and who of the person from their bone to their mind to their soul. The imagery that comes to mind is, I think about the folk in my hometown, Charleston, who, who weave those baskets, right? They start, they start to weave by feel. Sometimes you talk to those women and men, and they're just weaving and looking at you, and I'm just seeing the intricate weaving of how, and they're looking at you talking, yeah, 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 and they don't stop moving. I'm like, how are they doing it? Or, or, or blind artists like Stevie Wonder, right? They just play what they can hear and feel and know in their mind's eye. And speaking of wonder, the psalmist says that he is a wonder of God. Right? That in the secret place, that out of the the place where nobody can look in the mind of God, he came to be. And therefore, he is fearfully and wonderfully made because he was the intimate, intricate, booked, handiwork of the divine God. Verse 14 says this again. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You know what that means about you and me? That you, a human being, were created to be seen by anyone or any creature on earth, including yourself, as pretty awesome. As John Calvin, the 17th century theologian, put it, to be feared and admired all at the same time. 
that you, a human being, are above all of God's creation. That like the Lion King, right, where all the animals bow down, human beings should make all of creation parade in honor of what God has done in them. And we don't need a talking, singing lion to help us understand that. What the scripture says is a plain, simple, regular, just cause they are born person is fearfully and wonderfully made by the divine hands of God. And that's something you need to respect about yourself. You should live in proper awe and respect of God's work that you are. Because you're being from soul to body, from the day of conception, as far as we could possibly be, no, be known to be inside our mother, one cell or two, until there are millions, what I want you to respect is that you and I were never an accident or lucky or chance or purely scientific, though no less, but nothing short of amazing. You have, will, and always be God's deliberate and divine craftsmanship. God's deliberate and divinely kissed and touched creation. God's deliberately and divine created person. How can I say it? You are you on purpose. Not just any purpose either. On divine purpose. Not a chance you could be any other way, but that God ordered and crafted it to be so. So let me tell you then, that regardless of the circumstances and historical mess and people that may have been biologically used by God in the process that put you in the womb, or the world of circumstances you came to live in, or were born into, or brought up in, or brought to, whether with birth effects, the effects of being born into a fallen world, there's no defect, defective human being, but can be affected by a, being born into a broken world or even born into a defective situation, regardless, 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 you are touched and purposed by the divine. What is awesome and wonderful about this, all the dignity and worth do you was given to you by God, as verse 15 says, in the secret place. Why is that important? No one who wasn't there (laughs) in it with God, that means no one then, can or has the right to disrespect the humanity God has given you, including you. You didn't, let me make this, this is interesting, you didn't have anything to do with making you as awesome as God made you. So respect the worth God has given you according to the way he calls you to respect it. You know what that means? Whether you can dance or clap on beat or not, you and I, everyone, got soul. That's what the scripture says. We all got soul. The term in verse 14 for soul is nephesh, right? That's the Hebrew word. Same term used in Genesis when God breathed life into Adam. He became a nephesh, a living soul, which meant he was more than something. As Jesse Jackson says, you are 
somebody, right? Which means we should take ourselves seriously. We are more than behavioristic animals. We are called as those with nephesh, as, as David experiences here, to have self and other and God awareness and called to make determinations and actions and responses based on that awareness, based on just being human. I told you all this before. My dad's real interesting. He's still interesting. He still tries that same stuff with me. <laughs> he used to ask when I didn't exercise self-control, behaved in school, you misbehave, you know, he'd pick you up from detention. Remember he had detention? And, well, maybe I was the only bad kid. But, yeah, I think I shared this. Howard, are you a monkey? Are you a monkey? No, Daddy. Well, why are you acting like a monkey? Right? It's like, Howard, don't you know that you are a human being? Don't you know you have more dignity than the way you've been acting? My mom even asked the question, you just went to school and acted like an old cow. <laughs> a cow? A cow is the most uncelebrated animal in the animal kingdom. Hey, in this year's play, you're going to be the cow. No, I don't really want to be the cow. In other words, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not a machine or an animal. You can't just be. You are called to live as one who has a God-given nephesh, who bears and is aware every day and made aware every day that you bear the image and likeness of God. Get your head out of the sand, out of the clouds and other places, and respect who God has made you. And just so we don't get it twisted with all of this divinely touched and purpose and image of God stuff, because I know where this can lead. You're not going to have your own planet one day. That's that other fake church who come knocking on your door with the suits. I'm not going to say their names. Joseph Smith thought we'd all become gods one day. Well, the men anyway, and they'd have a bunch of wives that they'd recreate the planet. Man, that's a bad habit. I'm just kidding. But that's what it, okay, let me get back to Christianity. So we don't get it twisted and get visited by some angel in the middle of the night. The one thing you can do to respect yourself is realizing that though you are touched by the divine, you and I are not divine. To not only respect your God-given worth, but accept, I can't say that word right, accept your humanness. The psalmist puts it this way, when he began to see what and how God has made and known him, Look at verse 1 through 6. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before word is on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And then as we pointed out last week in the psalm, in verse 18, when the psalmist begins to count the thoughts of God about him, he couldn't stay awake long enough to do it. The psalmist is declaring here that because God is omnipotent, 
omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful, he is left to accept in his humanness his finiteness next to the creator. He's saying here that God has no limitations. But as one touched by the divine, he clearly recognizes that as a human being, he does. And he's been made to have limitations. That we all must accept that we have limitations, that we are being bad neighbors to our bodies and our minds and our souls and to ourselves if we are trying to push them beyond their God-given limits. I think it is clear from this psalm that you and I must accept that we can't know it all and determine it all and control it all, even about ourselves, that we can't know ourselves well enough to be completely true to ourselves and ourselves. You've heard the phrase, to thy own self be true. Well, this is unfair and mean to you to try to be true to yourself and in yourself because you can't know yourself in and of yourself. There is only one being that is self-determined, self-existent, sure and true, and well and right in and of himself, and that is the one true and triune God. Let me jump straight here. The psalmist can only know himself as he is perceived and explained to by God. What does it mean to be human? God says... This is who you are. To be human doesn't, isn't, hey, God, this is who I am. You telling me who you are? You've determined who you are for yourself? Hey, look, I know the word and thought that's going to come out of your head and your mouth before you know it. Okay, it's not fair or right to you being you to just be you, yourself, and I without community around you. In verse 5, the psalmist says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. In other words, my personality, my being, my humanness is confirmed by being touched, by being known by God, by having someone above me as well as we will see in other sermons beside and behind and even ahead of me, leading me and loving me and knowing me. Embrace your humanness. You must have the Lord in your life. You cannot be you or be good to yourself and for yourself and be alone without him in this world. You can't run your own life based on your personal observations, but only how God has observed and sees you. You shouldn't determine your own morals or how you're going to live because you can't know enough about the world and yourself to do that and to be your own captain and your own God, if you will, and have no intimate relationship looking to God for dignity, direction, and worth and intimacy. You know what it's like? It's like those terrible statistics of fatherless and motherless children without active parenting, kids who have never been hugged or unguided. We would call that child abuse through neglect. You are being self-abusive. You are being self-neglectful and self-destructive by living without God, being your loving, guiding, all-knowing of you, Heavenly Father. 
You without accepting your humanness and limitations are attempting and failing to do what the Lord alone can do for you. You are looking, searching, trying to construct and make happen love and dignity and hope and worth in all the wrong ways and places. And one or two things is and will happen. Either you will live below the dignity line God has given you in some way, or or overworking and enslaving and hurting yourself in some way. But there is something else to accepting your humanness, I want to say, tell you. And it comes at the end of this psalm. Look with me at verse 22 through 24. Nope, verse 23 and 24, sorry. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There's an unspoken but clear assumption here that the psalmist will try to and be tempted to live above and outside of his God-given limitations, which implies that we must accept the fact that we are broken in our humanness. We see this as he describes people in verse 19 as wicked and malicious and who are enemies of God. Now, these are people who too have been woven woven together in their mother's womb by God. And we see that even the psalmist struggles with breaking away from God and entering what I would describe as breaking your God-given human limitations into self-abuse and sin. Accept your humanness. Sin, the fall, has affected you. You and I have all the components of being a patented, wonderful, and fearful work of God. But because of the sin of one man, Adam, we, have, we all have a dysfunction. We will not love God, others, love God and others and ourselves very well, which means we must love and respect ourselves properly as those who have hearts that are often deceived. And we can even fake ourselves out, right? We can and do lie to ourselves. We are blind and have double and triple and wrong vision and a view of what we see in the mirror in the world. And and thus we are prone to sin against our God. And thus, as the one who defines our dignity, when we sin against God, we sin against ourselves. Some of you hate how God has made you. And in that hate, and in that, hate God for making you like he did. Some of you hate and live condemned in your mistakes. Some of us are piled under so much guilt that we've determined that it's okay to be treated badly by other people. In your dating relationships, in your sexual life, in your marriages, you are living under abuse because you think it's okay because you're defining your own morals. Some of you decided that living with God is bad for you. Some of us are sinfully starving. Our bodies are overfeeding them with all sorts of things. We have made our bodies. Let me tell you what we do to ourselves. We have made our bodies our gods or idols or little altars, or, or little idol-worshiping temples, human crack pipes, right? Filling them and working them and denying the how and what and with what God has called them for and made them for. We've made our bodies and our minds and our lives 
to actually be our relief and our savior, our sin slave, if you will. That's right. When you become the master of your fate and captain of your soul, it is not invictus, right? It is not being unconquerable and undefeated or unable to invoke victory. It is settled in subtle self-defeat and surrender to sin and self-hatred. And we can choose to struggle in the fantasy of Invictus, right? That we can be to ourselves a good neighbor, to our nephesh, to our souls, to our God-given souls by embracing the life God gives. And it starts with saying no to sinfulness. Look with me at verse 19. He says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your, your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. What is King David standing for and against? He's standing for his God-given sense of worth and against the sin and sinfulness that would harm or taint or destroy it. He is saying, I will stand with God as God does against anything that would take my life away. But by using terms like wicked and enemies and then turning to the potential of his own sin, he is saying, not only should I want to preserve my life physically in honor and respect to what and who God has created to be, but my soul's potential righteous connection with God that I should hate and push away and get rid of and hate all the things that would not only strip me of my dignity and worth, but would seek to lead me away from what and who God calls me to be and live like according to the Bible. The psalmist wants to push away and say no to and see an end to all that would seek to make him his own God or have to be his own God that would make him the assessor and standard for himself that would say, trust yourself alone, that would say, you don't need God and can trust God in this situation. He's saying, Lord, I hate that kind of stuff for my soul. Embrace God's life by saying no to sin and sinful people who would demean and rob you and tell you lies about yourself and your God. Sin, not respecting and honoring and obeying and worshiping God and obedience to love of his laws and biblical guidance of your life is nothing short of self-sin and self-abuse. God wants you to be good to you and has been good to you in speaking to us and visiting us in his scripture. He wants us to be good to ourselves so that you and I can finally... Obey him in a way where we can know his love. To no longer be captured by condemnation or guilt. To, to, to be pressed or, or be pressed in past failures and made afraid and made to live in secret shame or, or fearing public rejection of you by others or, 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 or demeaned by your limitations and brokenness. Stop being so hard on yourself and repent to your God. The worst thing you can do today to yourself is carry your own heavy load and broken life. It is not only ungodly, 
It is mistreatment of yourself to carry the load of sin and a broken world struggle on yourself. Accept that you are human and embrace the life and new life God has given and may be offering you by turning to his salvation. These closing verses, David is not claiming self-determination. He's saying, Lord, save me from myself and those who would hurt me in my right relationship with you and thoughts and behaviors that haven't taken root in my mind, that have taken root in my mind and heart that aren't jogging with a right view of you and myself. Lord, he's saying, save me from that. And Lord, save me from me, my blindness, my mistakes, my insistence on trying to handle my hurts and scars and pains on my own terms. Lord, save me from my continued self-abuse and my insecurity and unsecured relationships and my self-inflicted loneliness and my misblaming of myself for all the wrongs. Lord, save me by recreating me is what the psalmist is saying, right? Make me new like you did when you made me in the hidden secret place. By saying this psalm as one who too was a bloody person and did self-hating things, what is David calling God for? He's saying, Lord, put me in my life in the hollow." in the womb of your saving hand. Hem me in once again and press me into your image in that protected place. Heal me and change my heart and make me new and renew me like only you can. Make me the me I am supposed to be. And by calling God like he does, David knows what he, we should embrace. Only the God who formed and knit you can repair and re-knit you and redeem you into a righteous you. It is true that God threw the mold away in the sense that the first Adam alone had pure self-God right awareness and respect and acceptance of his humanness and embraced the Lord. That mold was broken a long time ago when sin came into the world. But he's made a new mold He's given us a new womb, a new secret place to be reborn and renewed and repent. And the mold of his son, Jesus Christ, you can become the you you should. And the good to, to you, God made you. Only if you hide in the righteousness and salvation of the new mold of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's gift to you to be a good neighbor to yourself.